0: Two, two pitch.
1: Swing Deep left. Hey everybody, JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here. Another Baseball America podcast. A fun one today. We are going to dive into Kyle's in-depth study uh, that that really kind of asks a, a very simple question, but a very complex one with a lot to to kind of discuss, analyze, and, and kind of see what we've learned from it. The simple question is how many big leaguers, how many good big leaguers, how many all-stars are in a farm system and not, we're not talking about looking at this from the standpoint of let's take a farm system and look at it, but let's look at every farm system. Let's look at every organization over the span of multiple decades and see what trends, what we learn from that. And, This is going to be, you know, there's a lot to digest in this. If you have not checked it all out, BaseballAmerica.com, it's all up there now. There's a lot to enjoy with this. But Kyle, to kind of just jump into this, to kind of start it off with this, you dove into the numbers, you dove in the data, you look at it, what jumped out to you most out of this? Now that you've done all the work and you've kind of analyzed it and you talked to people and all, what jumps out to you as far as what you learn by looking at how many big leaguers, how many you know future stars there are in a farm system?
0: Yeah, I think what surprised me most was across the board, the numbers were higher than I expected them to be. How many future major leaguers does a team have in that system in a given year? How many future regulars? How many future all-stars? What inspired me to do this, and I think for those of you who have been reading Baseball America for the last few years since I joined the staff, every February I try and tackle kind of a, a big project. I did one about the myth of the fourth outfielder floor, how even the guys you think of as fourth outfielders actually all hit 280 in the minors. Um, you know, I did one where I looked at how many all-stars are actually in the minors at a given time in a given year. And that number turned out to be higher than I expected as well. And this was the latest project in that ilk. And I had looked back you know, at some of the farm systems from a few years ago to try and get a feel for, okay, how many guys in here turned into major leaguers or regulars or all stars and more kind of in informal glances. I was finding, okay, there's about 20 guys in this system who turned out to be major leaguers, you know, maybe seven or eight of them become regulars and, you know, maybe three or four of them become all-stars if it's a really good system, but. Those were more informal glances. Those were more just kind of eye test, looking through some old systems. I wanted to do something a little more comprehensive. And so I was able to dive into 15 years worth of farm system data with a huge assist from Dan Hirsch, uh, his former website, thebaseballgauge.com. He was kind enough to share his data with us so we could really dive into it. And we- Thank you, Dan. (laughs) Yes, hugely. Without him, this project would not have been possible. you know, and from so from, we looked at starting in 1998, because that was the first year, there were 30 teams in the majors, and we went through 2012, because a lot of the prospects who were still in the minors in 2013, you know, they're still in the minors through 2016, made their debut in 2017-18, they haven't had time to become all-stars or regulars yet. So we stopped it at 2012, it's 15 seasons, looked at every team's farm system, how many future major leaguers were in each farm system, how many future regulars, how many future all-stars. And what surprised me was, just again, how large the numbers were. Uh, we found that in a farm system, in a given year, there is an average of 35 players who will reach the major leagues in one team's farm system. Now, for a lot of those guys, they make it for, you know, a couple games, a brief call-up, and they never see the majors again. But even 35 players, on average, in a farm system, reaching the majors struck me as very high. I thought that number was going to be more 20 to 25. And then on top of that, the number of regulars on average was 11, again, higher than I expected. And what really jumped out to me was the number of future all-stars in an average farm system, not a great one, not an all-time one, an average one was three to four. And even the worst ones, the most, the least productive systems in terms of producing future all-stars averaged two all-stars in their farm system every year over the course of a 15 year period. Now there were plenty of years where those teams had zero or one, but they also had years where they had five or six. So just the fact that pretty much even the the worst farm systems have on average two future all-stars, seven future regulars and 27 future big leaguers. And the average ones are you know 35 future big leaguers, 11 future regulars, three to four all-stars. It just jumped out to me and I think it tells you how many quality prospects there are in the minors at a given time.
1: Uh, the other thing that that stands out with that is, you know, that how many really does stand out, and the other thing though is is the the gulf between a good farm system and a bad system. Even the good, bad ones have more guys than maybe you would have thought going in, but there's a very distinct difference between a good farm system and a bad one, isn't it? isn't there? There is. And
0: really where you see that bear out for the most part is in the number of regulars and all-stars. But, you know, it's tough for me to say the gap might be smaller or larger than you thought because I don't know what people thought. But when you looked at it, the average, you know, so our top end team uh, in terms of the most major leaguers they had in their farm system each year on average was 42. And the lowest team was 28. So even your typical number 30 farm system has almost 30 future major leaguers in it so that 42 to 28 spread i mean that that's a lot of major leaguers that's you know 14 guys but the regulars is
1: what stands out to me more yeah than. and
0: so then that, that's where the radio so the the top end team in terms of the most regulars produced on average was the braves at 14 during the sample diamondbacks and twins were just behind them if you round up they're at 14 as well where the low-end teams, uh, the Orioles came in just under seven. So that's where the biggest difference is, is the best team, the best, most productive farm systems literally have double the amount of future regulars as the worst
1: ones. And the other thing that just kind of stands out with it to me is <laughs> you, you look at this, like, that's, it's not surprising me. That's where you see kind of the more, you know, there's, there's gulfs in both of them. But I do kind of look at it and say, like, I don't care how bad of a system you have, at some point during the season you're probably going to bring up some guys because you know you need that that backup to fill a couple of games or that reliever who's up because you you know you you you've taxed the the bullpen this week things like that you you can almost how many major leaguers you have is a certain amount a, a choice and also kind of a function of roster churn whether you're good or you're bad but when you talk about guys you know the using the criteria you used you don't get to 1500 plate appearances without having something that you provide of value to an mlb team and that to me is is those numbers that are the ones that to me are are really kind of more instructive from that standpoint that whether it's pitcher or hitter position player you are talking about there you had to have done something you know to to earn some staying power there Yeah, there's no question. I
0: think what jumped out to me in this too, in terms of the number of regulars, and we measured that by roughly the equivalent of three full seasons in the majors, that's 1,500 at-bats, 450 innings pitched, or 150 appearances. What really stood out to me was 20 of the 30 teams, so two-thirds of all teams during this span, had at least 10 future regulars in their farm system in a given year. That was another number that surprised me. So I think... I come out of this almost with the impression of when we see our organization talent rankings and teams get mad about, Oh, we're the number 25 system. Oh, we're the number 30 system. Oh, we're the number 20 system. There are still seven to 10 future regulars in that system. There are still two to three future all-stars in that system. So I think what this really showed me was, and you know, this abstractly, but I think seeing the numbers really drove it home for me. Every team has guys in their system who will do something in the major leagues. No system is ever truly empty. And I think just that, seeing that two thirds of all teams had at least 10 future regulars in their system over the course of this 15 year
1: sample, that that jumped out to me as well. When you say that, I mean, that again, when you say no system is truly empty, that's kind of what the data showed. I mean, what, okay, dive into this for a second for the for the listener. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Like how bad, Can it be? What is the worst that you found as far, not major leaguers, because again, getting up for an inning and a third doesn't necessarily mean that you've earned anything. It's great that you're a major leaguer. You've put yourself far beyond. But what's the worst as far as the guys who met that criteria of of regular contributor? The worst was two, and that
0: happened twice. The Brewers had two farm systems. The Brewers had some really rough systems in yeah, some good, the late nineties. They had a 90s. good stretch.
1: They had a good stretch in the uh, mid aughts, and the bad stretch before that.
0: Yeah, it's really kind of amazing their range of of what their systems looked like. But yeah, so they only had two future regulars. In their farm system at the start of the season, I should say, the way we measure this was who was in the system at the start of the season. That way we avoided double counting anyone in the same year for trades or international signings mm-hmm. or guys being drafted. It was who's in the system at the start of the season. The Brewers only had two, but that hasn't happened. The last time it happened was 2000. Um, since 2000, there's one instance here uh, the Cardinals had three one year, the Royals had three in another, and that was in 2006. But really, since then. I think I
1: did that top. If <laughs> I didn't do that, I did the top 30 for them right after that. And man, it was bleak. Yeah.
0: So really since 2000, the worst case scenario is you have three and even that was pretty rare. That's happened twice and not none since 2006. Realistically the worst case scenario is, is you've got four. The realistic worst case scenario within, you know, somewhat recent years is you've got 20, 20 future big leaguers, and for future regulars. That's really the worst case
1: scenario. When you say regular, regular contributor, really, because you could do that two ways. It could be a guy who starts for a couple of years, or it could be that guy who hangs around in a useful role, but does it for long enough to to clear this threshold, right?
0: Yes, yes, someone who's, you can say it as a a substantial major leaguer, however you want to use the- But a backup catcher,
1: a backup catcher who does that for six or seven years would clear the threshold
0: you know it's interesting actually i thought that would be the case but as i look through there's a lot of backup catchers who have been in the league for like 10 years and they're only at like 1100 ab so actually a lot of backup catchers did not make the cut here for the most part these are guys who were full-on starters in the majors or you know legitimate starting pitchers The only real guys who kind of slid in under this threshold where you say, yeah, you know, that's where it's questionable is you had a lot of relievers who amassed, say, let's call it 173 career appearances, and it was spread out over five seasons, and it was mostly low leverage. That's really the floor here of who these guys are. Anyone who's really a full backups, it surprised me, didn't really cross. The only backup catcher types who did were Jeff Mathis, who's, you know, been in the majors for 15 years. And by the way, was actually a, a majority starter for some of his seasons with right. the Angels over Mike Napoli. So again, um, it, it actually, to clear this bar, you pretty much have to be a starter at some point in your career, or at least, you know, uh, the, the strong end
1: of a platoon situation for a couple years. Okay. So, at the, that's the worst case scenario. And, and, you know, we have a couple of teams that kind of seem to have some, some trends. You you saw, again, the Brewers had a really bad stretch there. The Orioles have, you know, kind of a, a unfortunately for the Orioles fans, uh, they had some stretches of consistently lack of productiveness, right? Yes. Very what about much so. on the other? Okay. On the other end, as you said, Braves, Yankees, those are the teams that, they kind of had the, seemed to have the most staying power. Is that the fair way to put it? Um, those
0: were two of them, but the other team that was consistently across the board by any measure pretty impressive was the Twins. Um, the Twins are third in most future major leaguers in their farm system any given year behind only Yankees and Braves. They're tied for second in most future regulars in their farm system in any given year, and they've had at least 10 every year during our 15-year sample. And they are also the number one team in terms of most all-stars produced on average throughout our sample. So if you want to understand That's how, the, if you want to understand how the twins were so good for so long, I mean, 1998 to 2012, they were, they struggled once they got to the playoffs, but they were in the playoffs more often than not. This is how they did it. Um, I came away from this again, abstractly, you know, Hey, the twins were great. You know, Mauer, Morneau, and even before that, Torrey Hunter, AJ Pruszynski and all those guys. But Seeing it just laid out in front of me, it is truly remarkable. The talent the Twins consistently pumped out for 15 years. And, you know, we stopped our sample at 2012. I mean, you look even recently, some, some of the guys they've added since then, you can see it continuing to go a little bit. So um, I did think that was interesting that the three teams that produced the most major leaguers on average, Yankees, Braves, and Twins were – probably the three most successful teams of the era we sampled 1998 to 2012. They're, they're right in the mix there with, you know, the giants, the Red Sox uh, and some other clubs. So, um, but that, that really stood out to me. The Braves were really consistent in their ability to churn out all three as
1: well, but the twins are the only team to be top three in all three categories. Now that is very impressive. And did you see anything that stands out? You You talked about, you know, did did you see anything that stood out as far as like okay this is a theme that runs through either the teams that performed at the top as far as production uh, of of regulars and all stars or at the same time did you see any things that stand out for teams that simply you know were were non-productive compared to the the median year after year.
0: Yeah. So I think what stood out about the most productive farm systems with one very clear exception, and we'll talk about them in a second, is you really have to amass your talent from all angles. When you look at the teams that produce the most future all-stars, especially, it's guys who were signed internationally and guys who are drafted and guys who are acquired as prospects in trades. You really have to amass talent through all three avenues to be a truly fantastic farm system who really rises to the top of hey, our farm system produced the most future all-stars of any team. The second thing is when I looked at the strongest correlation of, okay, what among this results in the most success at the major league level? Because that's what what we're talking about here, right? You build a great farm system to build great major league teams. And really, it was the systems that had the most future all-stars, more than future regulars, more than just pure major leaguers. Again, there were strong correlations through all of them. But you go down, I encourage everyone to check out the list of the teams that had the most future All-Stars in their farm system in a given year. It's up right now on BaseballAmerica.com. Every single one of these teams that had 8, 9, 10, 11 All-Stars in their farm system, they were in the playoffs and reaching, you know, AL and NLCS's, if not World Series, within, you know, two, three, four years tops. So I think that was really what kind of stood out to me here was – if you've got the stars in your system, and again, you know it abstractly, but again, just jumped out to me seeing it you know, right in front of me. Um, now, the way you can kind of short circuit that, <laughs> the one exception here is the 2001 Mariners, who obviously did get some big production. Ichiro Suzuki counts toward them because he was prospect eligible when they signed him out of Japan, and that got them a 116 win season that year in 2001 and an ALCS appearance. However, a lot of the best players coming up behind him, they traded a lot of them, and because of that, they have never made the playoffs again uh, when they probably should have made at least once or twice more. So that is another thing is you can have a great farm system, but if you don't keep it, there's a balance. All these teams you look at traded some guys to go get others. The 2011 Royals are a great example. They kept Salvador Perez, Mike Moustakis, Eric Hosmer, Greg Holland, Kelvin Herrera. They identified the guys to keep, but they did trade Will Myers, Jeremy Jeffress, de Rizzi. So it's a balance. You have to trade some and keep some but you don't want to trade most or
1: all of them. So Kyle, before I ask this next question, we'll be right back. We have a quick message and we're back. The funny thing with that is, is if you are at the top end of this, you are going to have to trade some of them. Yes. Because there are only a certain number, there's a finite number of roster spots. And so if you have, okay, if you have two shortstops, one of them maybe can play second base, you know, but like, if we're looking, if, if hopefully we're still both here doing this, but if 10 years from now you're doing a a follow-up of this study and you say, you know, that, that 2019 Padres group produced, you know, uh, uh, an exceptional number of, of big league regulars. Well, a lot of them are going to be doing it for other teams, but, a lot of that, if Gabriel Arias is productive for the, for, you know, for Cleveland, it's one of those things where it's like, well, yes, that made sense. They traded him because there was no room for him to do the same thing in, in San Diego. And, and that's also one of the things that does stand out with this is the number of players that teams have in a system that are productive kind of does remind you some of this is a matter of shifting, you know, and trading, players at a certain position or whatever, partly because you actually do have a number of future regulars, at, at, in some cases, at one position. No question. I think when you look through all of these, you'll
0: notice farm systems where guys became future regulars or future all-stars. In almost every case, there's at least one guy, normally a couple, who... They became future all-stars with other teams. I look at the 2006 Dodgers, for example. Carlos Santana was in that farm system. He became a future all-star for another team. They traded him for Casey Blake, who helped him get to -to back-to-back NLCSs in 2008, 2009. And in some cases, there are guys who teams themselves just kind of miss on or let get away. Uh, You look at the 2002, 2003 Angels with nine future all-stars. Well, two of them, Bobby Jenks and Derek Turnbow, they pretty much let go for little to nothing. And they went on and became all-star closers for other organizations. But the Angels were able to make up for that because they had seven other guys they kept. And as a result, they were perennial contenders throughout the 2000s. So every single team is going to have guys in their system who, whether they trade or they let get away, Go on to have some success. And that's okay. You can overcome that if that's the right word. If you have a lot of other really good players who you keep and are productive for you. So and regarding the Padres, I actually have another piece in this upcoming issue of Baseball America where I looked at this. The Padres have traded 41 prospects or recently graduated major leaguers in the last 16 months since November 2019. the other team who kind of did that is the Astros. The Astros, I went back and counted for them. They traded 44 prospects or recently graduated major leaguers. And as a result made four straight ALCSs. They don't make the ALCSs they did and win a world series and get to Mm -hmm. another without trading for Justin Verlander, Derek Cole, Zach Granke, Brian McCann. Those guys and many others cost them prospects and, a lot of those guys have gone on to have success. And guys who are traded in those trades or others include Josh Hader, and Mike Fultonevich, who have become all-stars, Ramon Laureano, Teoscar Hernandez, who become solid everyday regulars. And it's awesome. Those guys have had that success. But if you're the Astros, you don't look back on that and say, oh man, we messed that up because you made four straight LCSs. No. So, and won a World Series and made another, although there was some illicit help involved. So yeah, I think it just it's one of those tricky balances where you need to Get these guys through all avenues, trades, the draft, international. You need to properly identify who to keep and who to trade. And you will have guys that you need to trade. Every successful farm system has done that. Um, And if you build up to this capacity where you have eight future all-stars in your system, whether you keep them or trade them, if you get to that capacity, you're pretty much going to be a playoff team within the next two to three years. I think that's the other thing I, I got to. If you can get to that that eight all-star threshold in your system, if you haven't been in the playoffs for a while, that's going to change very soon.
1: The other thing with that, you, you said that there was an exception to the you have to take it from all different avenues. And it's a remarkable exception to me, which is I don't think you can say that any group <laughs> – did a better job in one aspect of talent procurement and talent development than the Texas Rangers on their international program, you know, at the end of the aughts into the early teens, because here you have a team that ranks among the great, you know, groups that you look at in this entire, basically decades of, you know, multiple decades here. And they did it almost all internationally, right? It is remarkable the strength of their international
0: program. So the Rangers had 58 future major leaguers in their farm system at the start of 2012. That's the most of any team in our sample. And 20 of those guys went on to become regulars. The only guy who became an impact major leaguer from the draft is Kyle Hendricks, who they ended up trading to the Cubs. And there's a couple of other guys who have settled as relievers. Alex Claudio, Carl Edwards, et cetera, were draftees. Jared Eikhoff had a couple years as a starter. Robbie Ross, another reliever. So, I mean, there's a couple other draftees who who made it. But by and large, this was built almost entirely from their international scouting. Um, it's it's really impressive. I mean, the names just go on and on. Odebel Herrera, Rigno Jerks and Jerkson Profar, Martin Perez, Nomar Mazzara, Hanser Alberto, Jose Claire, Larry Garcia, Jorge Alfaro, Ronald Guzman. I mean, just on and on and on and on. I mean, the Rangers international scouting during that era, you know, the, the late 2000s building up to that 2012 farm system. I mean, it truly is stunning. Now the flip side of that is, man, now if, can you imagine if they had drafted effectively to go on top of that? I mean, we would have been looking at a truly, truly remarkable <laughs> uh, amount of talent on one team. Um, but even with that, And again, the Rangers had already made the World Series in 2010-2011. This farm system wasn't really responsible for that. Um, But they stayed competitive into the mid-2000s. Some of those guys were used in trades, for example, the Cole Hamels trade. And, I mean, they were a playoff team up through 2016. And by the time you got to the mid-2000s, a lot of these guys, you know, Odor, Mazzara, et cetera, you know, they were part of those playoff teams. So they did get some major league success out of this group. But, again, it was it was – something where on the one hand it was truly remarkable to see the international talent they pulled. And the other half of it is, man, if they could have complimented that with some better drafting. I mean, we could have been looking at something
1: absolutely insane from a talent pool perspective. Yeah. Uh, it does stand out now at the flip side. If I was going to take one other thing that stands out from this, we talked about Baltimore and, and how they, you know, had a pretty long stretch of not being, one of you know being kind of near the bottom as far as productivity and they did so it became even more severe in the years after this this study ends but but did you notice with them that you didn't they were draft only almost i mean draft and and you know but their international component it it it's the kind of the to me one of the stories that kind of tells the story from the flip side which is If you are very focused on one side, draft, but you say, we're not going to be part of the international amateur market, well, that's going to limit your ability in talent procurement, I would imagine. It is. And you go back and you look
0: at the Orioles and most of their successes, you know, even from the beginning of the study. And to be clear, they did have some successes. I want to reiterate this. There's a lot of teams here at the bottom of the list who still produce some really good players. Um, you know, up to 98, 99, the Orioles had Jason Worth in their system, Jerry Harrison in their system. Uh, you move in, you know, 2000, you get to the Brian Roberts is the world. Nick Marquegas is the world. So they had some guys, but they were almost exclusively guys that, that were, out of the draft. Now, again, they did get Jonathan Scope. They did get Eduardo Rodriguez internationally. You know, we and Chen was, was signee. So there was a little bit of it. It wasn't completely barren, but yeah, I mean, they're impact guys, you know, Machado, uh, Dylan Bundy, uh, eventually, you know, bringing in, you know, Zach Davies, he was another draft guy. Um, It's mostly through the draft. I will say, you know, toward the end of our sample. And I did this when I looked back at uh, the teams were best at drafting in the 2010s the Orioles actually drafted. Okay. You know, kind of that 2009, 2010 range. And as a result, they did have the most wins of any American league team from 2012 to 2016. So the cutoff of this does kind of undersell that they actually did have some draft successes. Uh, you know, even 2009, look at their farm system. Again, Matt Wieters is in there. Jake Arrieta is in there. Zach Britton's in there. Justin Turner was in there. He wasn't a draftee, but he was still a guy they had at one point, Chris Tillman's in there. So, Again, even the worst teams, they had guys, but you're right. It was almost, almost exclusively uh, guys taken out of the draft. There were a couple international signings, but yes, they did in a lot of ways not participate in the international market for many, many years. And that, that did limit the amount of, of future regulars and, and all-star caliber players they would have in their system in any given year.
1: But, well, again, it's if you go to BaseballAmerica.com, it's a truly exhaustive uh, you know, study. I, I think you're going to have a lot there to enjoy. Kyle, is there anything that I've failed to touch on that you think is important that we talk about from this, this series?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we hit on most of it. I, I think what I would say is just, I think it's very, very easy to fall into the uh, you know, prospects are not that great and most of them will break your heart. And most teams, you know, you don't really have that many good ones anyway. And it's easy to fall into. To be honest, me coming from a major league perspective, I definitely had a little more of a, I want to say a dimmer view of prospects as a whole, but, but a more selective view of prospects, I would say. And in two cases now, both looking at how many future all-stars total are in the minors in a given year? And looking at how many future regulars and all-stars are even in just one system on average, it certainly opened my my horizons a little bit. If, you know, there are more good prospects than I think sometimes we think there are. And some of these guys take longer. There's a lot of guys in here who got released, had to go somewhere else, and only then did they blossom into an all-star. There's a lot of guys here who Didn't look very good up through age 27 and then sling clicks at 28, 29. And in our very uh, impatient world, it's almost like, oh, if he's not great by 23, he's a bust, which is ridiculous. So um, I think that's my main takeaway is just there's more good prospects, more good future major leaguers out there than I think – a lot of people think there are now, again, I come from a more selective use. There might be some people out there who thought that there were, every team had 50, you know, major leaguers and, and in reality, they need to lower their expectations. So I think it just depends on where your expectations were to begin with. But for me personally, I think it's, it's taught me to be a little more open-minded on some guys as opposed to maybe be a little less selective or pessimistic on the guys who aren't maybe, you know, the top, top and jump out at you right that minute.
1: Uh, Again, check it out, baseballamerica.com. There's also a lot else there you want to check out right now. We've got pretty much – all of our prospect stuff for the 2021 season is up. You can check out org talent rankings, top thirties with scouting reports for all organizations, uh, all 30 organizations updated, Um, you know, relatively recently updated. I think there's been a move or two since we updated them, but updated to almost, you know, the last minute right now. And uh, also everything that you want to know for the college season, we got draft list up. There's a lot to check out Baseballamerica.com. for Kyle. I'm JJ. So long everybody.